It is time for episode 23 of By All Means, right here on Western Reserve Radio. I am your host, Mark Means. Dave Ferris is in our studios in Smothers. I come to you from my home studio here in Niles. The show brought to you, as always, by Mill Creek Golf Course. Book your tee time now by going to millcreekmetroparks.org slash golf or calling them at 330-740-7112. Find us on Facebook, Western Reserve Radio. Find us on the different apps you can download, Live 365, or tune in, or go to westernreserveradio.com. It is week two of high school football right here on Western Reserve Radio. The games we will have for you this week. Tim Continenza and Matt Emsch will be over on Western Reserve Radio 2 for the Austintown Fitch Falcons and the Ursuline Irish. Both those teams come in 1-0 on the season, winning their openers last week. Here on Western Reserve Radio, we will again follow the Springfield Tigers as we do all season long. And it will be Springfield at Western Reserve here on Western Reserve Radio 1 for that matchup and of course pregame show and the game uh, with Jim Craven and the coach Bob Gessler here on Western Reserve Radio so we'll have that for you coming up on Friday along with uh, myself and Dave Ferris on the postgame show immediately following the game in week two of high school football here on Western Reserve Radio it is time to talk some baseball and of course that means I bring in my old company Kristen, how are you? Hey, Mark. How'd week one, how'd week one go? Week one went okay. And let's uh, go into week two. Uh, week one went okay over here, too, on the other side of the state. Uh, we had some weather delays, which made things really interesting once we hit, like, around deadline. But everything worked out well. Um, wow. MLB trade deadline. What's happening? Yeah, we, we got some weather delays just like you did as well. But um, let's jump into the trade deadline, of course, that passed at 4 o'clock yesterday, so about 25 hours ago. Uh, kind of felt like it was a done deal, maybe Sunday night into Monday, that the Indians were going to make a move and trade Mike Clevenger. Before we talk about the trade itself, if Clevenger didn't do what he did, you know, kind of, well, let's say lying to the team and not telling him that he left the hotel as well as Zach Plesak, do you think he is still an Indian today? It's possible. Um, keep in mind, though, that Clevenger has had some weird injury issues in the past, so he's not exactly Teflon Don by any means. Keep in mind also that the, the rotation has done very well aside from him. And, of course, the call-up of Tristan McKenzie has been very pleasant, at least lately, and it certainly can still be throughout the rest of the year. But Shane Beaver is beyond the Cy Young conversation at this point. He's at the MVP conversation. Carlos Carrasco has been, as advertised, he's been great this year. Aaron Savali has been fine. Zach Plezak, when he's on the mound, has been good. And, I mean, if we're going to go that route with – Clevenger going out in Chicago with Klezak and Klezak's friends, let's keep that in mind too, then maybe we can theorize the same thing about Klezak. Was he ever on the trade market? So I don't know how much you can buy into the whole, you know, Chicago out, out the night out, putting the team at risk, that whole story. I don't know how much you can put into it. Keep in mind the injury stuff. 
I know his contract. He had a, he had a couple more years left on it, but you know the Indians have to be creative sometimes in trying to retool and restock, and they felt that this was one of the ways to do it. So that's the long answer to the short answer, which I think is I can't say for certain. A nine-player deal, and what do you know, another trade involving the Indians and Padres for the third consecutive year. Three major leaguers coming, three prospects coming. I know you're always up on all the prospects. What's your thought on this entire trade? Look, people need to see the forest through the trees on this, Mark. I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic with what the Indians are doing here because – we we know that Francisco Lindor, based on Paul Dolan's comments a while back, based on a lot of things that have happened since then, including him turning down a reportedly an extension offer, we, we, we have the feeling that Francisco Lindor has a foot out the door. We're, we're operating under that assumption. So with that said, the Indians have to try to plan for some sort of a future. In this case, it feels like a quantity over quality trade, but that's not to say that the quality is still not there. They return three big league players in Cal Quantrill, Josh Naylor, and Austin Hedges, and they return three prospects who currently I'm looking at MLB Pipeline's rankings. They're all in the top 20. Owen Miller at 19, Joey Cantillo with 15, and then Gabriel Arias at five. And just to make a quick note of Arias, people are asking, you know, who's this guy? If you're in the Mahoning Valley and you saw the Scrappers play last season, you saw Brian Rocchio and Aaron Bracho play up the middle. Mark, you've seen those two play. Those two are sensational talents. Rocchio with the glove, Bracho with the glove especially. Rocchio found some sort of power last year. Arias is ranked ahead of those two on pipeline. So what does that tell you about his ability? So maybe they didn't get Mackenzie Gore from the Padres, but they still plucked three of their top 11 and that's a loaded system. So when you look at the prospect angle, I can't argue against it. When I look at the big league player angle, no, they didn't get like J.D. Martinez or anything spectacular as far as the bat's concerned, or, or Joey Gallo, who was a rumored name to be on the trade market. Josh Naylor, the brother of Bo Naylor, who's one of the top catching prospects in the Indians organization. Cal Quantrill, who for my money, I think is a steal. He was a first-round pick, eighth overall out of Stanford a few years back, and he's been pretty solid this year. Finally, consistently out of the bullpen. Ten games, he's only started one. He's got a 260 ERA. So, look, when you look at those players, then you throw in Austin Hedges, who, by the way, was the best defensive catcher in baseball by quite a few metrics last year, and yes, even ahead of Roberto Perez. What does that tell you about Austin Hedges? If, if we're counting Roberto Perez for his defensive ability, Austin Hedges last year, number one in baseball in framing, and number three in pop time, which is glove, a glove at second base getting hit from the time the ball's being thrown to try to catch a, steal, uh, a base stealer. I, I mean, you're talking about a really good defensive catcher. The bat isn't all there, but that's fine. He, he can play defense. I think it's a solid deal. People need to see the forest through the trees. They didn't get the big name, but they still got quality players at the expense of just one player, one star player, I should say, Clevenger, and then Greg Allen, and we'll see who the player to be named later is. You know, I look at uh, Naylor specifically, and a lot of people are projecting him to be the everyday left fielder 
going the rest of the way. And it's interesting because you're talking about a 23-year-old player that's been traded now three times in his career. He has two years of big league experience playing with the Padres. And a lot of people were saying, well, the power was okay playing in that mammoth ballpark in San Diego. It'll probably jump playing at Progressive Field, playing in American League ballparks, might take a leap up. He's in a system where his brother isn't at the big league level yet, but he's there. He's a good projectable left fielder. You know, he might be might be one of the best outfielders that they, they have to put out there right now. Yeah, I mean, the kid's 23, if, I, if my map serves correctly. Or, you right. know, first-round pick. I know he's been traded a couple times, but maybe that could be a product of him either moving too quickly or, you know, the, the average hasn't come around. He's hit 250 in the big in, in 290 career at-bats, a 314 career on base, so it's not bad. But maybe they're just waiting for something more to come out of him. I agree, maybe the ballpark, and ballparks, when you really put it all together, he was in the Marlins system for a while, and, you know, he didn't necessarily get to the bigs with them, but still, in, in the long run, you develop in that system that really hasn't done a good job of developing much lately, if we're being honest. So he got put in a bad situation to begin with. Then he gets traded to the Padres in a loaded system where he's kind of pushed back when they acquire guys like Will Myers and, you know, they acquire guys this year and a Tommy Sam. I know he's been hurt, but they're still pushing him ahead on the depth chart. I mean, Naylor was a guy I feel like just got phased out and really feels the same as Frondell Reyes. Now, Josh Naylor is not Frondell Reyes, who's been absolutely sensational this year. But I think Naylor, I mean, look at his stats this year. He's hitting 270, a home run, four RBI, 10 hits, and 37 at-bats. Pretty fair season right now, and especially compared to what he's done in the past. I, I just think that people need to give Josh Naylor a little bit of time to develop. He's still so young, left-handed stick, so the Indians got something they've needed for a while. I mean, they could hit a full left-handed lineup now if they really wanted to, and you include Tyler Naquin out in that outfield. So I want to I have like a jury out on Josh Naylor still. I'm not pressing any buttons because they didn't get the sexy pick for the outfielder or the sexy trade acquisition. But I'm waiting to see what happens with Josh Naylor at the, towards the end of this season and then, of course, into next season. You look at today's lineup, and Naylor's uh, in left field hitting the number seven spot, which stretches that lineup out a little bit longer because until Tyler Naquin started hitting lately, six through nine had been just deplorable for the Indians this year. And now you've got a hot swinging Tyler Naquin hitting sixth. You put Naylor in the seventh spot, Roberto Perez and either Delano DeShields, uh, you know, or any of the other outfielders you're going to put out there in center field. Uh, it does kind of lengthen the lineup out a little bit, at least for the Indians. Well, which is what they need to do. You, you Look, I know that Lindor, Ramirez, they're, they're both superstar hitters. We know that already. We know that Carlos Santana can get on base with the best of them. Again, Frango Reyes has been excellent this year. Of course, you need to stretch that lineup up, especially deep in a postseason race. You know, you can't sacrifice too many bats for gloves down in that lineup. But the bats that you do put in there have to find different ways to produce. And like you said, they haven't found a way to do that. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I know that, like you said, the bottom half of that lineup has not done well hitting this year. So, look, when you look at guys like the Shields and Mercado that can play center field, and even even when he's when he's on Bradley Zimmer. Those three guys aren't going to give you top-tier 
offensive production, but they do give you really damn good defensive production, so you'll certainly check that box. Roberto Perez, Austin Hedges, whoever's behind the plate, not going to give you, you know, they're not going to hit 300 for you, but they will throw base dealers out. They will frame pitches excellently. Check that box off. You have your two defensive stalwarts in that lineup. And, and I mean, when you have a guy like Josh Naylor, you can plug in, you know, you can supplement him with your, your right-handed platoon. I think it's a good fit. I think it'll work out long-term, and especially in the same organization as his brother, that's way down the road. I think that what the Indians need to find is consistency. I, I understand the concept of platooning, but at the same time, you're just not going to make a postseason run if you keep putting inconsistent hitters, shuffling them in and out of the lineup every day. You've got to find some sort of continuity. Uh, what, what is it, six through nine or even five through nine in that lineup? Only got a couple of minutes left, maybe two minutes before the break. So real quickly, top Pirates prospect Kebrian Hayes called up in the lineup today, playing third, batting seventh. What kind of big leaguer does he project to be down the road? Well, Hayes profiles is a very, very fast guy. I mean, he, he runs the bases extremely well, which has been, to me, one of the most impressive, impressive things about him. Um, four, uh, in the four previous minor league seasons, he's stolen at least 10 bases. Pardon me, three. He's stolen at least 10 bases. And back in 2017 in high eight, he stole 30. He stole 27, almost 30, I should say. So you're going to get a guy that has speed. He can, he can play outfield if you need him. But I like his arm at third base. And the Pirates have such have so much work to do. I, I mean, I can't even begin to explain where the Pirates need to begin to improve as a baseball team. Personally, I think they should have sold a couple of pieces to try to build a, a, a better farm system. I understand there's talent in that system, but, I mean, they draft Nick Gonzalez, and he's immediately, like, the number one prospect in the system. So I don't know what that tells you. I know what it tells me, but do with, do what you will with that information. So I like having Hayes up now to get him some big league experience. The Pirates aren't going anywhere this year. Let him play the field a bit. Let him get used to facing big league pitching. We'll see where he goes. You know, throughout his minor league career, he hasn't been a bad hitter at 279, 354 on base. He draws walks. I mean, let him work. Let him get some of that experience. I'm excited to see him debut. It's going to be interesting, Corey. We will talk as we are already past the halfway point of this shortened season with the playoffs right around the corner. Uh, good luck with high school football and everything uh, in your part of the state, and we'll talk soon. Where are you going this week? Where, what's the game of the week? Uh, we've got uh, Fitch and Ursuline, and we've also got Springfield and Western Reserve here on Western Reserve Radio. Excellent. Good luck this week, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, that is Corey Christen joining us to talk some baseball, my former co-host here on uh, Western Reserve Radio on the show we did called The Bullpen. So that is a quick look at that move for the Indians. And it is a quite, I like what he said, it's quantity over quality. We'll have to see how the three young players develop. Uh, the three big leaguers are already on the roster uh, with Naylor in the lineup today for the Tribe, batting seventh and playing in left field. And he does project to play the majority of left field the rest of this year. And probably going forward as the Indians will have some control over him uh, when it comes to his contract for the next couple couple of years coming up later here on the show we're going to talk some browns with ryan alessio look at brown's training camp it's kind of been quiet and we'll give you week two's top five high school football power rankings here on western reserve radio we'll be right back 
Welcome back, by all means, here on Western Reserve Radio. I wish I could make a comment about my producer, but when you're in one city and he's in another and he keeps you on the radio, you have to be a nice guy. Love you, Dave. So it is now time to bring Ryan Alessio back in on the show after a couple of weeks. And, and Ryan, you know what? It's It's been a very quiet Browns training camp, and I'm very happy about that. There's been really no headlines, minus the injuries, and that's a different conversation. But it's it's been unlike it was last year. It's been good. Yeah, it's amazing what happens when grown adults run the team. You actually don't have a lot of the um... – nonsense that comes with, you know, a Freddie Kitchens, Sean Dorsey culture. Uh, yeah, other than the injuries that have been a little disappointing, although I, I saw today Mac Wilson isn't going to need surgery, so he will be back this year four to six weeks, so that's a plus. Uh, Delpit, unfortunately, you know, we're not going to see him until next year. Uh, the team is starting to get a little bit healthier as we go, but if you're looking for inflammatory headlines or comments or anything like that or apparel, you're not going to find it this year. You know, really, the only big question, and I think they know, I just don't think they're telling us yet, is who's going to call plays? Is it going to be Kevin Stefanski, or is it going to be, as they like to call him, AVP and Alex Van Pelt calling plays? I, I kind of hope that it is Van Pelt. We know Stefanski's only called plays one time in his career. That was last year with, with the Vikings, and if it's one less thing on his plate, I'm okay with that. Yeah, that would be fine. Um, I guess it just depends on how they feel everybody's progressing with the offense. I mean, the problem is, and if you read, if there's any negatives coming out of Brown's training camp, is it's the offense, the first-team offense has been all over the map. They've looked good at times, and they've had some pretty bad moments as well. It hasn't been what you'd expect, and, and I would assume the reason is any team that has a new staff, new system, new playbook, don't forget, we lost June. That's usually when OTAs are. That's when you can go and do your install and you get players on the field. And when you come into training camp, you already kind of had a pretty good idea of how this is supposed to work, what the concepts are, and you've already applied them on the field. Now we're kind of having to do both. And I, I do believe it. I've heard people say it to other reporters that the teams that have new, new staffs for that reason, lack of being able to be in person, are going to struggle for a while. And Case Keenum's looked all right, but Case Keenum's been in a variation. He's been in that offense. He knows what to do. The guys we're really counting on, you can see that it's starting to be a struggle. It's, it's, it's taken a while for them to really grasp it. Just And that's not because Stefanski can't coach or anything. That's because they haven't been able to do the work on the field they'd normally be able to do. So, I mean, outside of that, that's – that's really the negative. So I guess play calling would have to be with who, like, if Stefanski feels that Van Pelt, who should be just as knowledgeable, but if he feels like there's nuances and situations, maybe Stefanski this year will call plays just only on the fact that it's his playbook and he's the most familiar with it. And because they've had limited time, that'd be my only guess as to why Stefanski would want to call plays. Uh, if it was a completely normal circumstance, I don't think he would do it. 
and it does make me wonder, you're talking about a, a new team learning a new offense in a condensed, shortened period of time and potentially opening up in Baltimore you know, in two weeks with two rookies on the offensive line because we really haven't been told just what the status of J.C. Treader is for that opening week after having his surgery and missing a, a large portion of camp. If you're going with you know, a Nick Harris and you're also going with Jedrick Wills Jr. on that offensive line, you may have to kind of pull back on the play calling at least early on. It could be. Uh, it, it seems as though they've done pretty good so far uh, in camp. But the good thing is, like you said, you can scale things back, and I do expect early on in the season you're going to see a ton of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt because of what you were saying, you know, might have to scale things back because of the line or the fact that there hasn't really been any tackling or hitting in any of these training camps. Usually you get, you know, you start getting that callus for the season in the preseason for a lot of these players. So I do think, based on what you said and a couple other things, just how camps have been going, you might not see the full force of the Browns, you know, passing game yet. They'll do what they got to do. But I think you're going to see, you know, 25 runs from Chubb, maybe another 15, 16, 17 from Kareem Hunt. I think even if they're putting them out of the backfield and trying to, you know, dump the ball off to them to do those kind of, you know, little uh, almost West Coast style running plays, I, I think that's what you're going to see early on. You know, it's interesting, too, because we're going to be so excited when football returns on September 10th with that first game on Thursday night that, you know, it might be bad football for the first couple, three weeks to a month. But I don't think as a fan base, we're going to care because football's back in what's been a, you know, a crazy time for all of us in in the world with COVID-19. It might not be great football, but it's going to be football. Mm -hmm. That's all we're going to care about. Yeah. Well, hey, I got a I got a little story for you if you're if you're up for it. I'm always up for it. <laughs> so today I went I went a little crazy, and you know that I usually like to go on these walks. Well, I was walking, and I thought I should see how long it would take me to walk to the Brown Stadium if I was so inclined to maybe go to a game. And I walked. It's 3.3 miles, and it took me one hour and two minutes. While I was there, I'm crazy, by the way, if, if you can't tell. Um, <laughs> I spoke to an employee of the Browns because only I would, you know, do something like this. Because I was, I've never been on the backside of the stadium that faces the lake. I've only, I've went in the first two exits. And let's face it, Mark, you know how I prepare for Browns games when I go. I'm not exactly of sound mind, <laughs> if you will. And, uh, I've never been on the back side of it. So I, I was walking around it, and uh, I, I, there was a little employee lot, and there was a couple people. They must have been just getting off work because it was about 4 o'clock. And I stopped them, and I said, hey, uh, do you know, are they letting in fans? Because I never even heard any kind of announcement. So the guy told me, he said, yes, we're going to do 25% to start. It's going to be season ticket holders and people on the waiting list, and then – you know, as the year goes, as long as everything stays the way it should be and nothing crazy happens, they're going to open it up a more. And I thought about this because you mentioned Baltimore week one. Baltimore is not letting in fans the first week of the right. season. So don't you think in a strange way that's going to benefit us because, yes, we're playing in Baltimore. Sure, they're going to have fake noise, but it's fake. Uh, do you think that that, you know, considering our lack of, practice time, knew everything, trying to do all this. 
do you think that it'll be more beneficial to us to start on the road in an empty stadium as compared to you're going to get, you know, at least 15,000 fans in there that Thursday night game? You know, I definitely do because, I mean, that made me think of, you know, back when I thought Ohio State was going to play football on time, you know, their two toughest road games were going to play your Ducks in Eugene and going to Happy Valley to play Penn State. No crowds at either one of those. Huge advantage Ohio State. I think it's the same thing. I mean, Baltimore's a good football team, but you don't have that energy to feed off from the crowd, the excitement when they come out onto the field. You know, it's the home opener. It's, it's week one. There's going to be all kinds of artificial noise but nothing makes up for the fans at, at any level. No, not at all. And I think it helps, too, if you remember, our probably best win and most complete win last year was that week two or three at Baltimore. Uh, so we know how to – we've won there last year convincingly, and now we're going to go there and hopefully, because we got, we got this new system and everything, hopefully no fans makes it a little easier on our team. And then Thursday, you're going to have the benefit of having – some crowd there. So I don't know. I, you know. If you ask me week one, I would say we'd probably lose just because everything involved. But the fact that Baltimore is basically going to be, you know, evened out a little bit without crowd. I, I mean, do you think we could go in there and win week one? We never really do that. No, week one is usually a, a horror story for the Browns, yeah. no matter where they play. Remember and that Tennessee game last year? That was a lot of win, fun. But, so here's my question before we go to the break. And if you just casually think about it, I think it's, it's it might be obvious, but I don't know if it is. What is the side of the football that will be the Browns' strength? I mean, if you look at the, the names on the offensive side of the football – the names just say, well, the offense should be better. But defensively, it, it does make me wonder. I know you got to fill in for Delpit. you got to fill in for Mac. But, uh, you know, if they play well and stay healthy, they can be pretty good there too. I think so. I think early on, I think the defense is going to have to keep us afloat until the offense catches up once they start getting enough uh, reps or even live reps, if you will. A lot of this is going to be done on the fly you have no preseason even I know the starters generally don't play a lot during the preseason but they'll play a little bit more if you have a new system and everything so I I, I, I have uh, a lot of faith too in Woods the defensive coordinator coming over from San Francisco if you watch his defense if you've watched any of those training camp lives and I I know you have uh, you have noticed the defense flies around they are creating a lot of turnovers whether that's their talent or whether that's the offense trying to catch up who knows? But I would not be surprised that if heck, the first four or five weeks, the defense has to do a little bit more until the offense, which they will. That offense is way too talented to not score or do anything, but it just might take a little bit. I mean, it's going to be interesting the first couple of weeks. I mean, you go to Baltimore. That's going to be a tough game. You've got the Bengals at home on Thursday night. You play the, quote, Washington football team in week three, and then have the Cowboys and Colts after that. So it's an interesting group of opponents on the schedule that have that some have high expectations and some you just don't know what to expect from. Yeah, that's what's going to be interesting about this year. It's almost kind of like the same thing with the MLB playing 60 games. You're going to see some teams that you thought might be doing well fall behind and not be able to catch up in limited time or a te- you know, team takes off that you wouldn't expect and, and they're looking good because there's not a lot of games. Might be a little bit like that in the NFL. Maybe the shortened, you know, camps or, or the regulations hurt teams that you thought would be in a certain place, and maybe some teams might catch. Like Cincinnati, could, I, I'm worried about that game. I mean, they, they're not a bad team. I, I mean, oh, they were trash last year because 
they were basically tanking to get Burrow. But, you know, you've got to watch these. You don't know what kind of team is going to show up. So in a strange way, I think it actually creates some excitement. We'll take a break and be right back. You're listening to Western Reserve Radio at westernreserveradio.com on the Live 365 Network and the Live 365 app. By all means, here on Western Reserve Radio, brought to you by Mill Creek Golf Course. Book your tee time now by going to millcreekmetroparks.org slash golf for more information. So last segment, Ryan, you had a story, so I've got one for you today. Are you ready? I am. So, you know, it's been, it's been very dry here in the Mahoning Valley, so I haven't really had to do a lot of lawn mowing lately, except for maybe the front yard. So I'm just about to finish up yesterday. I've got about two paths left to go, and I mowed over what turned out to be a bee's nest in the ground. <laughs> How many did and you get? I've kind of been stung since I was a kid where I kicked a pop can with a bee's nest in it, and I thought I was allergic. So I get stung, I don't know, four or five times, and I start to freak out because I don't have an EpiPen. Turns out, thankfully, I'm not allergic, but they still hurt like hell. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're not allergic. Uh, I probably haven't been stung by a bee. God, that's a good question. Probably since I was pretty young. So... As, I'm glad you still said that they hurt because I have ran from bees as an adult and, and, and as recently as like four days ago. So I'm glad that I'm not like running out of fear for no reason. So I'm not happy you got stung. I'm happy you're not allergic. But in a weird way, it's nice to know they still hurt. So I'm justified in running like a, you know, crazy person. Oh, I did. I, I ran. I, I, I probably had a pretty good scream from what my neighbors <laughs> told me when they checked on me to make sure I was okay. But uh, my legs are still killing me from these bee stings, but at least I know I'm getting better. Baking soda. So let's jump back to the Browns, and you kind of alluded to all the injuries that are going on, and of course, Delpit is the big injury. You knew it was bad when it was a non-contact injury on a guy that I raved about for months. I was so happy Everybody when they did. drafted him. And, you know, they were planning on using three safeties in this defensive scheme this year. So that's definitely going to change things. I wonder how much it's going to affect the back end for the Browns that is, is young to begin with. Well, I mean, it's the good thing is, is they do have some talent back there that's been around a little bit. you got Mitchell, who's been having a great camp. Uh I think Kevin Johnson, I think he, he was the guy that, you know, lacerated his liver or whatever. I think right. he's on his way back, or he might be back already. Uh, you still have Greedy Williams, Denzel Ward back there. And, you know, they're going to have to just fill the gaps in a little bit for Delpit. Luckily, it's just one guy, and he is a rookie, so you didn't really know what you were going to get. It's not, I, I'm not discounting him because I was really excited like you were to see him play. But it's not like you lost, you know, Denzel Ward, who you already know is a Pro Bowl caliber player. So it's just going to be one of those deals where somebody else is going to have to step up. Maybe they look on the uh, waiver wire a little bit to see if there's somebody out there that can help. Uh, They probably are going to maybe look at another linebacker as well, just because, you know, uh, Mac's probably not going to be back until uh, almost midway through the year. So, I mean, yeah, it's going to be – 
going to be patchwork for a little bit, but I, I think that they'll be able to figure it out just because I do believe in the scheme and I do believe the defensive coordinator is going to get the most out of people. You know, I mean, you're looking at guys like Carl Joseph or Sandejo, who was in Minnesota last year, filling in. They're not inexperienced players, but you know, they're not what you could potentially get out of Delpit, who could almost play like a, a rover, where he could play a free, he could play strong, he could play some nickel or some straight-up corner if you needed him to. Yeah, it's a shame. It, it, you know, you, you, it was so nice to see that he was there for us to draft. We got really lucky that he was there. Uh, I believe last year of college, wasn't he injured a little bit too? Is that kind of why he fell? Yeah, high ankle. Yeah, so it's just you got to feel bad for the kid. You know, he fell into the second round when he's obviously a first-round talent. He does that because of an injury. And then next thing you know, what is – I think it was his first day that they actually were even having him practice with the ones. Like he was, you know, working his way up, and they were starting to put him out there with the first team. And you know how it goes sometimes. You just you hit the unlucky lottery again and feel bad for him because that injury, you, you just got to hope next year that he, he can be 100% and he can show what he can really do. One of the pickups the Browns made was bringing in former Super Bowl MVP Malcolm Smith at linebacker who didn't play a lot last year. I mean, that's an yeah. interesting move. It's a depth move. How do you feel about it? Um. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a guy to see if he has anything left that he can contribute. I, I know that he was a Super Bowl MVP, but that was many of moons ago, and I talked to a couple Niner fans where he played recently, and I said, does he have anything left? And they were like, nope. I said, all right, well, we signed him. Now, that doesn't mean he can't come here and, you know, have a little bit of a career revitalization because that does happen a lot. So are my hopes high? No, but like you said, you need a roster. You need guys there. He knows how to play. So maybe just being a veteran and being around will be enough to help the team. But I, I'm not really banking on him being a major contributor. Hopefully, though. And, you know, one of the things we always talk about, the way you take a step from being a, you know, below 500 team to a playoff team to a championship contender is depth. And with the Browns right now, like, I feel like they're at some spots, they're finding some depth. They have a legitimate backup quarterback should something happen to Baker Mayfield. There's depth at running back with Chubb and Hunt and Hilliard and Dearness Johnson. There's depth at wide receiver now with a couple of other players that have shown well in training camp. But other spots you have questions like, I don't know, you know, guys like Kendall Lamb or Chris Hubbard, even though he started last year, if those guys are pushed into starting positions because of injury, I don't know what the depth is like at O-line. Uh, it wouldn't be good if we were on those guys, to say the least. Um, I will say this, though. It does look like, they have done a pretty good job of having depth at a lot of positions. Maybe linebacker could be a little thin, and that's maybe only because their defensive scheme doesn't really rely on a lot of you know linebacker play. But for the most part, I mean, like you said, I mean, you're mentioning guys that we're using as depth now that we were starting. So to me, that's always right. a good sign. Like you keep those guys because they're you know they can play in the league, but you can't. They're not everyday starters. But now that you are using them as depth. I think that's a good thing. So, I mean, can you remember, I mean, obviously depth and stuff, they got to go do it on the field. I, I know that we like to be paper champions a lot, but do you, have you seen a team like this for the Browns where it does seem like, yeah, there's some things you'd want to tie up here or there, but for the most part, they're pretty complete. 
it's been a long time since you're talking about a team that's you know close to complete. Like while you were talking, I, you know, you look at corner Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams, of course uh, Terrence Money Mitchell, and Kevin Johnson, who's expected if he's healthy to be the the nickel corner. I mean, you've got four legitimate NFL caliber defensive backs you can throw out there, which you need four, five, or more with the way teams in the league throw the football now. Yeah, absolutely, and it just seems like to me that our roster is finally taking shape for a team that's playing in 2020. You know, we're not trying to force things. We're not trying to make players play in positions or schemes they're not comfortable in. It finally looks like that we're putting things in place system-wise, offense, defense, that are more conducive to the talent on the team. It's one thing to have talent. It's another thing to make sure you put them in a position to succeed, and we've heard plenty of coaches talk about that and you know Freddie Kitchens would talk about that and then you would watch a Browns game and he would do you know everything he would install an offense that his team cannot really play well in you know he's trying to do that air raid last year with Munkin and we do better with the you know the big personnel packages with two tight ends on the field and things like that and max protect so not only do I see depth it looks to me that we're finally going to put players in a system that's going to really help them play to their best abilities too. And you know, and I, I like seeing things like there's depth at tight end with Hooper and Njoku and Harrison Bryant, who I think could be an interesting NFL player that once he develops and gets a little stronger, can line up at tight end, can go out and flex off the line in a slot type position. The one thing I really like more than anything is the fact that Hey, you know what? We've got a fullback on the roster. We're actually going to use him this year. Yeah, what a weird concept. A, a position of need on the offense, and you're going to, you have one who's really good, and you're going to use him. It's like, like, like I said, it just looks to me like, and they got to do it on the field. I know that. We say that every year as a Browns fan. I feel like there's got to be an asterisk anytime you want to praise the team and be hopeful that you have to say that I understand that they have to win games because they never do that. But it just seems like to me that this front office, this coaching staff have put together a roster that is not to satisfy an ego of a coach or a GM, but to win football games. And too many times I, I felt like last year we were making moves or the last couple years that were good. I mean, we put talent on the team. I'm not saying Dorsey never did anything good because he did some, he did good things. But for the most part, some of these glamour trades and, you know, I, I'm just going to get these guys in here so people talk about me. I mean, those days seem to be over. The, you know, the star isn't the GM anymore. He, uh, Barry's not running around in his designer sweater in July or anything goofy like that. Or, or the coach running around like, you know, they should be selling merchandise at a, at a, at a, like they're, you know, rock stars or something. So I just feel like we have a professional adult organization and everything's there to win on the field, they just actually have to do it for a change. You know, I, I saw this tweet from a fan on Sunday, and at first it made me think of all of our conversations over the years, but then it reminded me it is just typical Cleveland mentality when it comes to the Browns. On Sunday, the Browns tweeted, we're 14 days away from opening the season in Baltimore. And the first response was, I don't remember who it was, I'm so excited to be completely disappointed, was the reply. <laughs> Well, hey, listen. I mean, it's typical Cleveland Browns fan, right? Yeah, but you know what? I, I can't be mad. I mean, Mark, we're a bad football team. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we, 
We haven't. We I, when I was talking to the guy outside of the Brown Stadium because he was like, "Oh, are you a season ticket holder? Because you should have, you know." Got, I, I said, "No, I had season tickets, but you know, I couldn't justify paying for them due to abject failure." And there was like a pause, and he's like, "I get it. I mean, you know, what are you gonna say?" Like, so I, I back right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm with you. Do, do you need to be negative right out of the gate? No, but we've been hurt. I mean, we win three, six games, I mean, every year, no matter what the roster looks like. So eventually the Browns have to win games for that to stop. Okay, i got time for the 90-second answer. Who wins right. game seven tonight between Utah and Denver? Ooh, boy, I'm going to go Denver only because um, Jamal Murray is I, – I don't know what has happened to him. He's become some sort of – otherworldly being when it's coming to playing basketball. I think it'll be close, though. I mean, Mitchell's not going to go down without a fight. I'm excited for it. It's going to be a great basketball game, but I will say I do think Denver comes back from a 3-1 deficit and uh, wins that game. Next week's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to spend the entire hour previewing the upcoming NFL season that will begin two days after our show next week. Uh-huh. Maybe some surprise guests along the way as well. So that should be a whole lot of fun. Ryan, it's been a couple of weeks. Glad to have you back, and we'll have you on again next week. All right, Mark. Thanks. Ron Alessio from Cleveland got in that three-mile walk to Brown Stadium today. There'd have to be something at the end for me to walk that far. There'd have to be dinner or there'd have to be a live sporting event, something for me to walk that far. Because once I got there and realized I walked three miles, I would then realize, well, I have means I have to walk another three to get back home. And that just isn't going to happen. We're going to take our final time out here on the show. When we come back, we will unveil week two of our Valley High School Top 5 here on Western Reserve Radio. A combined effort from myself and Matt Ems from Just Football that you'll hear tomorrow from 5 until 7 right here on Western Reserve Radio. Of course, he'll be on the call with Tim Continenza for the Fitch and Ursland game over on Western Reserve Radio 2. And right here, we will have Springfield at Berlin Center Western Reserve. We'll take a break, come back, and wrap it up on By All Means. Creek Golf Course is now open. Experience the Donald Ross Championship design of both courses where you can book a tee time online at millcreekmetroparks.org. Mill Creek features a newly remodeled golf shop, new cart paths, and is a Callaway certified club fitting facility with demo days. The PGA professional staff is now accepting golf outings and leagues. For more information, call 330-740-7112 or stop by and see what all Mill Creek Golf Course has to offer you. Welcome back. Final segment, episode number 23, by all means, presented by Mill Creek Golf Course. Uh, I want to thank our guests for today's show, Corey Christen, talking some baseball with the trade deadline passing at 4 o'clock yesterday. My co-host, Ryan Alessio, back this week to join the show. He'll be with me next Tuesday for our NFL preview show that may include some surprise guests along the way. Stay tuned to our social media for that update. And before we go, it is time for week two of our high school football power rankings. 
here on Western Reserve Radio. Matt Emsch and I got together over the weekend. And from five to one, here's our rankings. Any division here in week two. The Austintown Fitch Falcons with a convincing win over Boardman. They move into our top five at number five. Warren John F. Kennedy with a win in week one. They move up a spot from tied for fifth to fourth. South Range, not ranked last week, jumps all the way into number three. They get a huge win against Poland in the NEA last Friday. Poland will play Niles at home coming up this Friday. Ursuline, they get a win over Cheney in a game you heard right here on Western Reserve Radio. They move from three to two and a runaway comfortable win for Springfield in another game you heard right here on Western Reserve Radio. As they were running clock to begin the third quarter against Mineral Ridge, they are number one. So in reverse order, it is Fitch, Warren John F. Kennedy, South Range, Ursuline, and Springfield is number one for second consecutive weeks. Our games this week, Friday, Western Reserve Radio 2, Tim Continenza and Matt Emsch. It is Ursuline and Austintown Fitch, and here on Western Reserve Radio, it is Springfield at Berlin Center, Western Reserve, with Jim Craven and the coach, Bob Gessler. Dave and I will be back for the postgame show afterwards. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. It's been, by all means, presented by Mill Creek Golf Course, here on Western Reserve Radio.